Our scripture reading today is from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. If you care to follow along, you can find it in your pew Bible on page 309 of the Old Testament or on the screen. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Jerapath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yesterday, the Washington Post ran a story about the Colorado River. Now, the Colorado runs from its headwaters in Rocky Mountain, Mountain National Park all the way down into Mexico. It's a, the river that's responsible for forming the Grand Canyon. Today, it serves 40 million people in seven states and hydrates over 5 million acres of agricultural land. The Colorado River is what fills Lake Mead, and you may have heard that Lake Mead is at such historic lows that they're finding all kind of stuff that never meant to be found, right? Like barrels with bodies inside. It's kind of terrible. Discoveries like that are just one sign that the Colorado River is under extreme stress, in crisis, is what the WAPO article said. And it's continuing to get worse every day as the drought in the Southwest rages on. Now, I did not finish reading the article yesterday because Thinking about a major river like that shrinking so dramatically, it scares me a lot. Perhaps you've heard about wildfires currently raging in New Mexico. I've been paying attention to those because my family loves New Mexico and goes there often. Millions of acres have been burned, property destroyed, people forced to evacuate, smoke filling the sky. Now, I am not warming up here to preach a sermon on climate change though that's something that people of faith should take seriously. How do we honor and protect the planet God has given us? Instead, 
I bring these things up because I want you to be thinking for a minute about how it feels when the world starts to collapse around you. I want us to just get in touch with a moment with the sense of desperation that Elijah was feeling in the story we have in front of us today. Now, we're starting a new sermon series called Elijah because guess what? We're going to spend the next few weeks talking about Elijah. Yeah, good job. Okay. Listen, Elijah is awesome. He's awesome. I don't want to bury the lead here. He is awesome in his stories, especially when we consider them all together. They're just wonderful. They're thought-provoking. They're entertaining. They're memorable. They help our faith grow. I love the prophet Elijah, and I hope by the time that we finish this sermon series, you will also consider him one of your favorite characters in the Bible. He's called a prophet, but he's not quite like other prophets in the Bible. We don't have a book of scripture that he wrote. We don't have one with his name on it. Instead, we find the stories of his life in First and Second Kings. He didn't write a lot of poetry like some other prophets did. He didn't make a long list of grand pronouncements on God's behalf. He did, though, deliver the word of God specifically to one king named Ahab and that king's wife named Jezebel. Maybe you heard of her. And the word that he brought caused a lot of conflict and a lot of trouble. So Elijah's story, it's one of deep faithfulness, even when the world around you falls apart in several different ways. And today's story is basically the first one we read from Elijah's life. The truth is, we don't know very much about this guy at all. We don't have some big story about how God called him to be a prophet. We don't know anything about his family, about his origin, about his life before he became a prophet. The scripture calls him Elijah the Tishbite, but nobody today even knows where Tishba is. Who knows? So when we meet him in 1 Kings 17, the whole country is in a terrible drought. Terrible drought. Now, Elijah had predicted this to the king, Ahab, uh, and because of that, he was in a little bit of trouble. You know, kings, they don't like hearing that it's not going to rain for three years. They don't consider that good news. They want crops to grow. They want people to eat so those people can pay taxes. So Elijah predicts this drought, and God tells him, you need to flee from Israel. He says, go to, a, to this ravine, to this wadi that's on the east side of the Jordan River, so in the country of Jordan today, and hide there. So Elijah goes, he hides in the wadi, he drinks from the river, and birds bring food to him. That's actually the picture that the Hughes showed us in their children's time. Uh, but here's the thing about wadis. There's, when there's no rain, there's no river, right? They only flow in the rainy season. So eventually the wadi dries up and Elijah has to move on. And next, the Lord tells Elijah to go to Zarephath, which was a commercial capital and was still not in Israel. It was actually in Phoenicia, clear over close to the Mediterranean Sea, south of Jerusalem. So Elijah had to travel maybe 50 or 60 miles by foot and there, in Zarephath, he meets this widow. Now, she's suffering even more than he. She is so devastated that the only food she has left is a little bit of flour, and she intends to use that to make this last supper of sorts for herself and her son. And then they're going to die of starvation. That's her plan. I just 
want to pause here a moment to acknowledge that most of us in this room and most of us watching online have no idea what this feels like. To be stuck in the middle of a drought where everyone around you is also suffering. To be so short on food that you have nowhere to turn, nowhere to ask for help, that your best option seems to be to succumb to hunger and lay down and die. I mean, that's a level of desperation that so few of us in 21st century America ever feel. Certainly, we and people around us can experience poverty, in some cases even extreme poverty, and perhaps some of us have been at the end of our rope, thinking we have nothing left, thinking we have nothing left to give, we have nothing left to live for, nothing left to offer the world, and, and that's where this widow is. She's done. She's run out of everything, including hope. And it's to her that God sends Elijah. Okay, here's the theological word for the morning. Providence. Providence. As in God provides. Providence is God's continued care for and guidance over all of creation. Providence is our belief that God continues to care for what God creates. When we trust in God's providence, we say God didn't just make the world and then leave us to our own devices. We say, no, God is still here. God is active. God is involved in the world. And in our lives, God continues to care for us, to provide for us, to shelter us, to guide us. You know, when we sing that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's a song about God's providence. The thing is, God's providence doesn't always work in the way we expect it to. So Elijah was hungry. He was tired. He was on the run from an angry king. And you'd think, okay, God's going to take care of Elijah. Maybe he'll send Elijah to a banquet hall that's filled with food. God's going to take care of Elijah. So maybe he'll send him to a palace that has more than enough. God's going to take care of Elijah, so maybe he'll send him to some storage bin that's overflowing with grain. Is that what God does? No. God sends Elijah to a widow who has nothing. When he gets to Zarephath, Elijah meets the widow at the city gate and asks her for water, and she brings it, and then he says, give me a little food, just a morsel of bread. And you heard what she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering some sticks so I can go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now Elijah sees this deep desperation and he tells her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's not an easy thing to do when you're starving. Then he says, go ahead, bake a little bread, and then make some for yourself and your son. And he says, I promise you the food will not run out until God brings rain on the earth. And she does it. Her response of faith amazes me. I mean, guys, she is not an Israelite. Did you hear she said, as the Lord your God lives, not my God, as the Lord your God lives. But still, she trusts in Elijah enough to do as he says. Perhaps once you're resigned to death, listening to a prophet is a little easier. I don't know. 
But what Elijah says will happen, happens. And by God's provision, the three of them eat out of that simple jar of meal and jar of oil for days and days and days until the rains come and the crops grow. Now, God performs two miraculous acts in this story. First, God provides food for starving people. And then God uses this woman who wasn't even an Israelite, a woman who thought she had nothing left to give. God uses her to sustain the life of the prophet. So God's providence was a deep blessing to both Elijah and the widow. Okay, that's Elijah. What about us? Can we expect God to miraculously multiply the food in our pantry if we pray hard enough? Should I try that, just stand in front of the pantry door and pray and pray and pray and hope the food doesn't run out? Should, should I try that? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going to work because, first of all, we're not in a period of three years with no rain. And secondly, I'm not a prophet sent to confront political rulers with God's truth. Thank God. Okay. So probably I'm not going to, you're not going to get the same kind, the same kind, exact kind of providential help that Elijah got. But, but our God is a God of providence. God was that for Elijah, and God is that for us. God's providence, God's care, God's guidance are available to all of us. God wants to care for us, to sustain us, to help us, to save us. That's all a part of God's love. God doesn't just leave us to figure it all out for ourselves. God doesn't abandon us, especially in times of trouble. God is here to protect and preserve us. And sometimes God does that in really unlikely ways from unlikely people. Now, I don't believe that God's providence means that nothing bad will ever happen to us. I mean, even Elijah, he had to suffer the consequences of the drought that he himself predicted. But God found a way to sustain him in the midst of the trouble. And I think that's how it works for us too. You know, when, when I get in the car, just because I try to be a faithful person, that doesn't mean that God manipulates the behavior of every driver around me to keep me safe. God does not control the weather for my comfort, no matter how many times people ask me to pray for better weather. It doesn't work. God doesn't arrange things in my path so it's only sunshine and petals for me. You know, God doesn't even promise that I'm going to survive every single situation. But God promises to welcome me with, me with joy when my time comes to enter eternal life. And until then, God helps me be smart and prepared. God helps me be alert and awake. God gives me endurance and courage and strength and patience to navigate the storms on my journey. And most importantly, no matter what kind of trouble I enter, God shows me I'm not alone by sending helpers whenever there are problems. Now, one moment in my life when I experienced the providence of God so clearly was when I was a junior in college. That was a minute ago, okay? But this story has stuck with me. It continues to be so important to me in my faith life. I was on a trip uh, over spring break with a bunch of friends from my United Methodist Campus Ministry, and we were going from Dallas to Denver, Colorado, we we're going to work with a program there that took us to different places in the city. 
We worked at a homeless shelter, a food pantry, a, a shelter for victims of domestic violence. Every day we got a chance to meet new people, to see how God was with them and alongside of them. And, and a whole bunch of us from the campus ministry decided to go on this trip, so many of us, that we had two 15-passenger vans that were caravanning together. Well, we left early one morning from Southern Methodist University and started making our way across Northwest Texas towards Southern Colorado. Not the most scenic drive in the world. It was raining all morning, not a heavy rain, just enough to keep the roads wet and the windshield wipers going. And we were having a fine time doing the kinds of road trip things that college students do until somewhere along this rural stretch of West Texas Highway, the tires of the van that I was driving went through too much water, lost contact with the road, and we hydroplaned right off the highway. We spun around and we crashed over on our side. And in this van of nine or 10 people, I was the only person wearing a seatbelt. And one person was actually thrown out of the window from the momentum of the spin and the van uh, roof landed on his midsection. That God didn't protect us from the randomness of bad tires and a big puddle and a split second where nothing worked out like it should. But here's what God did do. This was back in 1997 and none of us had cell phones. But someone driving by was an early adopter and did have a cell phone, and they called 911. And within minutes, we were surrounded by fire trucks and the highway patrol. The person who was thrown out of the van, he got quick and great medical attention. He had to spend a week in a hospital, but he made a full recovery. And I remember as I was wandering around there on the side of the highway that afternoon, still trying to get my mind around what had happened, someone said, hey, Amy, we're getting ready to leave. And I was like, what are you talking about? Where are we going? It turns out that one of the firefighters was a member of the United Methodist Church in a small town nearby. And he had called the pastor and they were meeting us there to open the building so we could spend the night. The United Methodist women were already at work making supper for us. The firefighters took us to the church. We used the church's long distance plan to call our parents and tell them we were okay. The next day, we met together as a group, and we decided to continue on to Denver because another United Methodist Church from Amarillo nearby had offered to loan us a van to replace the broken rental. God provided for us in every way we needed. Through this network of people in West Texas who love God in a town whose name I cannot even remember, God provided for us. God sent helpers beyond what I could have ever expected. I remember before we got to the fire station, before we got into the suburban owned by the fire station to head to this rural United Methodist Church, a friend of mine pointed up to the sky, and it was still raining, but we could all see a rainbow. A sign, the Bible tells us, to remind us of God's protection and God's providence. Now, maybe you have a story like that, a moment when helpers came from out of nowhere to pick you up and aid you on your journey just when you needed it most. Elijah's story is a wonderful reminder of all the ways that God can help us and offer us protection. Or, or maybe for you today, this story is more of an invitation, 
an invitation to be a helper for someone whose journey has taken a bad turn. When you see someone in need, will you take time and space to help? Will you be the one to figure in someone else's story of how God provided for them when they were lost or afraid or unsure where to go? We all know the world can be a scary place, full of dangers expected and unexpected. Trouble like we see with the Colorado River is not going to be fixed overnight. But no matter what we are facing, we are loved by a God who has promised to provide for us, who has promised to not leave us or, uh, or leave us without help, even in our darkest moments, not now and not for eternity. Even when we are at the end of our resources and think we have nothing left to give, God will not stop providing help, hope, a way to restoration, to healing, and to joy. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.